Welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast, the podcast where we talk about all things art-related. This is episode 102, Jackie Jimerson and Pass the Brush, recorded on July 6th, 2020. My name is Julie Bayfan Balzer, and with me is my co-host, Eileen Shu Balzer. Hi, Mom. Hi, Julie. How are you? I'm good. You sent me a um, text earlier about the fact that you were watching a chipmunk, and I just wanted to say, is your quarantine so bad that that is what That's you are sad. reduced to? No, we've set, <laughs> we've had a guy come and set up raccoon traps because the other day, Matthew, your brother, went out to the garbage, heard rattling in the can, and then a head popped up, and it was a raccoon. So we've decided not to live with that. So the guy came today and set out the traps, and almost immediately now the wildlife is starting to gather. To find out so. what is going on. Well, I was going to say, I, there are not that many exciting things going on during quarantine. I had a long talk uh, about poison ivy today, so I feel like, you know, we're covering all of our important outdoor bases, doing all these things. And partially that's because I've been doing so much gelatin printing using the stuff from the backyard, and enough people warned me not to accidentally pick poison ivy because it's a pretty leaf that I actually almost did, which is how I discovered that we had poison ivy in our backyard which led to the long conversation about how to remove the poison ivy. So again, while you are watching a chipmunk, I am uh, trying to think about how to cut and strangle this poison ivy from climbing up my tree. So we both lead exciting lives, Mom. We both lead exciting lives. You know, I at least am watching something that's moving. The poison ivy is moving, just very, very slowly. (laughs) Just infinitesimally <laughs> slowly. Okay. So a couple of things that you might want to know about. The first is that I have uh, a really exciting, more exciting than watching Poison Ivy grow, um, live online class, uh, block printing on fabric. It's going to be the last week in July. It is Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, two hours each of those days. Um, and even though it is called block printing on fabric, you can print on paper using these techniques. We'll talk about designing and carving stamps that are meant to go together, how to create different kinds of patterns with them, all sorts of fun stuff. Um, that's going to be a good one. You can find out about that at juliebalzer.com. Um, and as always, if you'd like to help the show, which I know you would, please post about this episode on social media and let other people know just how awesome it is. So our amazing guest today is Jackie Jimerson. I hope I'm saying your last name correctly, Jackie, because that would be terrible if I wasn't. Um, so Jackie is a mixed media artist and designer, and she found her way to mixed media through paper crafting about five years ago, and it has continued to feed her love for learning and experimenting with no end in sight. Um, she also has a fantastic Etsy shop. I've done some prowling through there where she sells some really wonderful stencils that are her designs. She sells stamps, beautiful hand-bound journals, and some carefully curated ephemera packs. Um, she's also a member of the Gel Press Creative Team, where she's able to let her passion for gelatin printing reach a wider audience. She and I can probably geek out about gelatin printing for a while, maybe a very long while. You may be very sorry that you tuned in today. Um, and Jackie lives in a south suburb of Chicago, Illinois, with her son, who I believe is a teenager. I think you told me he was 15, which I want to hear all about what that's like. Uh, and she worked full-time as an IT data specialist. So welcome, Jackie. Thank you. Thank you. So is it Jimerson? Yes, it is Jimerson. Okay. Thank <laughs> yes. God. Good guess. Thank goodness. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> 
So, Jackie, tell us a little bit about, I know that uh, in your bio it says that you found your way into mixed media through paper crafting, but how did you find paper crafting? How did you become a crafter? Um, I used to craft all the time when I was young. Um, my grandmother and my mother and my aunt, they were always crafters. Uh, my grandmother uh she was a nurse, but in her spare time, she was a seamstress. And when she retired, she did it full time. And she, one time she told me, I um, will try anything once. And so she's always picked up different crafts to uh, try out. And so I was very close to her. So I kind of picked that up too. So I've done beading, I've done uh, wire wrapping, I've you know, I can sew a couple of pillowcases and <laughs> things like that. But um, maybe six years ago, I my sister was getting married. She wanted invitations. Of course, everybody turns to me and I'm like, uh, OK. So I bought a cutting machine and I made 200 invitations. And, um, from, yeah, maybe it was about 150, but, you know, 150, 200. When you're doing them by hand, that doesn't really... uh make that much of a difference. But uh, yeah, I did her invitations. And from there, I've probably done about seven weddings, baby showers, bridal showers, and things like that. And it ended up moving into mixed media because I already had the machine. So I was cutting foam stamps and I was cutting stencils and other paper things just to do regular paper crafting with. And um, from there, I, I found groups on Instagram and started trading artists, trading cards and things like that. And it just, it just went like crazy from there. <laughs> okay. So let's back up because there's so much to unpack in there. So first let's talk about the cutting machine. So which cutting machine do you have? I'm a silhouette girl. <laughs> okay. So let's talk about that. I've never used a silhouette. Um, now, I know you're an IT specialist, so you, are you just technically inclined in general, so none of the, you didn't have any of the learning curve issues with the silhouette, which I know is very computer-based? It's very computer-based. The software is very robust. Um, I have to say that that's the reason why I like it, because um, you can do so much through this software before you even get to the machine. And I probably because I do have a background in computer science, I wasn't intimidated by learning all that stuff. But I can see with all the tools across the top and the and the side that it can be kind of intimidating. But um, I, I love the software and I always recommend to people you can download the software for any of the programs. You can download the software and find your way around it before you even buy the machine. And so um, I don't know how many people do that, but that's something I always recommend. Well, I was going to say, so let's talk about for just a second how you learned that software. Are you a person who like watches tutorial videos or are you a person who just plunges in and starts messing around to see what happens? I just dive in. It's only if something's going wrong do I usually look up tutorials. Like, okay, why isn't this cutting all the way? Um, and I have had to contact like tech support with Silhouette and and look up a few um, tutorials on 
YouTube, but usually only when something goes wrong. It's, I mean, you can't break it. So, you know, just get in there and just mess around. You really can't, and it, you know, if the software gets too far off from factory settings, just, you know, uninstall it and reinstall it and start over again. You know, that with anything tech related, you really can't break it. Well, I think, I mean, I happen to agree with you 100%. This is one of the things that I tell scan and cut users all the time is I'm just like, push the buttons. Like, you're not going to break it. Just push the buttons. It's fine. But I think also that attitude of like, well, if you get too far away, just reinstall it. Just start again. Like, some of that really also translates, I believe, into art making. And I wonder how much you bring that attitude into the mixed media work that you do too. I know a lot of people are very worried about ruining their art or, you know, going too far or not going far enough or whatever it is. So do you find that you take that kind of like whatever you can't break it attitude into the, um, you know, mixed media art making? I do take it um, into the mixed media as far as I love to experiment I love to try different things and especially the, the uh, gelatin plate. You know, as long as it's not a knife, you really can't mess up a plate. So I like to experiment a lot. Now, I will say that sometimes I'm a little hesitant when it comes to finished projects. <laughs> it's like, oh, I have, I'm a, I'm a forward thinker. So I have this project in mind. And it's kind of like, okay, I want to make sure all the steps get me there. So that's kind of a a hurdle that I have to get over when it comes to completing projects. But if I'm in the mind of experimenting, I'm good to go for hours. I can just experiment with anything for hours. I wonder at all, so you can tell me that I'm totally wrong, but so um, I think of computer science as something that has some of that forward thinking in it where it's like this step to this step to this step, like this all connects, right? So I wonder, do you think it's related that that's what you do for a living and it's also in your artwork? It probably is because um, I'm when I got my, um, I have a BS in computer science, and so I've been dealing with programming since high school. And so programming is much like writing a paper. You have to create an outline before you can flesh out the program. And so I, and, and I'm taking it into my art. I'm like, okay, where's the bones to this project? And, you know, what, where am I trying to end up at? And it's definitely very different from I think a lot of intuitive artists that are out there and it's kind of it's kind of intimidating because it's like oh I want to be intuitive too (laughs) I want to just be able to just slap some paint down there and and I'm getting there I I put some paint down like okay so I want to do this and I well I try not to think I want to do this I want to do that I can't do it I just have to think about okay this is where I'm going this is why I'm doing this. And I don't know, so far I'm okay with it because it hasn't hindered me too much. I'm learning to work with it. (laughs) So here's my question for you, which is why do you want to be intuitive as opposed to the way that you naturally work? Oh, it just looks so <laughs> when they're when, <laughs> you look at someone's art 
and you know they're an intuitive artist and you can just I don't know it just seems so free and just flowing and it's like I don't want my work to look so structured you know and um I yeah it just looks cool and I want to do that but as the years go by I am pulling away more and more from trying to do what other artists do. Um, the first pull away was colors. You know, it's kind of on trend for everybody to use bright pinks and purples and turquoise and, and all these beautiful bright colors. And I love looking at them, but I cannot work with them. And so it took me a while to realize that that was a stumbling block when I was doing my art, that I was trying too hard to use the colors other people used, other people's color palettes. And, and once I let that go, things got a lot easier. That's awesome. I, I think that one of the biggest growth places for people is when you have that moment when you're kind of like, I'm okay being me. Like, I'm cool with who I am. I may not be the most that I can be right at this moment, but I'm getting there and I'm great with it. I mean, I think that's true both in art and in life. Like, there is something, now now that I'm in my 40s, I feel like there's something about, like, I, f- I am more myself than I have ever been. And I actually had a f- conversation with a friend of mine who had her kids in her 20s, and obviously I'm having you know, having had a baby in my 40s, like, that's such a different place to be, you know, to have a baby uh, (laughs) decades apart like that. I mean, I think that I, in some ways, instead of being defined by the baby, like, I know who I am, and he comes into my life and changes and moves things, but he doesn't change who I am in the same way I think he would if I had had him when I was, you know, 22 or something like that. So I think it is an interesting thing thinking about art making too. I remember so much desperately wanting to be anyone other than me because everything they did was so awesome and so cool. And then when I started to come into like the idea of like, oh, wait, I'm cool too. I'm cool too. That was like kind of, (laughs) that was a great moment because that I think for me when people talk about wanting to find their voice I always say like it's the moment when you're willing to let go of the need to be anybody else it's the moment when you are like not trying to keep up with the Joneses you're not trying to chase you know the grass is greener kind of thing it's the moment when you're like I live here this is my house and it's good well you know I think that one of the positive sides I've noticed to social media because I didn't see it in myself, but when people would comment on um, my YouTube videos or when I post stuff in Facebook groups or on Instagram, they're like, oh, I love your style. You know, you, the way you, your composition of your pieces and your color palettes. And then it was like, oh, I've got a style now. Like, and, and I, every, I think every artist kind of like wishes that like, oh, when am I going to have a style? When is someone going to see a piece and it remind them of me? And, you know, it's like, I think I'm kind of coming into that and it's pretty exciting. 
It is. And I would say like you sent me a, sam- a sampling of work to post um, along with this podcast. And I would say that it's a clear and cohesive, you know, it's a single person's voice. And I think that that one of the most useful things that you can do as an artist is to um, stop worrying about having a voice and just to do stuff. Because I think that whatever comes out of your uh, hand naturally is you. It's like, you know, no matter how much you disguise your handwriting, there's still some of you in it. So no matter how you, you know, use your brush or collage materials, whatever it is, that all comes out. Um, Let's talk about gelatin plates. Tell me the first time you tried a gelatin plate, where were you? What was that? Why? How was it? Just give me that first moment. Um, well, actually, I got my first gelatin plate in a subscription box. And it was a subscription box by um, Draw Riot, Tori. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love her. She's been a guest on the podcast before. Yeah. So she had a subscription box in, on Etsy, our bento box. And I um, had one of her first boxes. And in it was a round gelatin plate by Jelly Art. And it was like six inches round. So it sat. It sat over there for a while. And then I had like some kind of swap thing that went on and we were going to swap uh, papers in the group. And I'm like, okay, well, let me pull out this gelatin plate and see what it's about. So I pulled it out and I must have made a hundred little circles. (laughs) And I still have probably about 50 of those circles because we didn't have that many people to swap with. So I, went, I made way too many circles, but I just couldn't stop gel printing. And um, I had a ton of stencils, and I think that's all I really used with them. And so I'm in the basement of my mom's house. You know, it's dark down there, and I'm just like some mad printer just printing away on this little plate. And I think when I, when I tried that circle, I ran over to, like, Hobby Lobby and picked up the four by four that they had over there. They were like the only store, box store that sold the gelatin plates. And so they had a student size gelatin plate. And I picked that up and continued just mad printing. And um, it, was, it was fun. And, and uh, I think because of my forward thinking, I didn't really have a problem with pulling prints that I was happy with because I was thinking about what I was doing. You know, after you, I tell everybody, you get paint, you see how they act on the plate, you get stencils, you see how you want to use them on the plate. And then once you do that, that experimenting right there, you pretty much know uh, how the elements should go together, or at least in my mind, that's how I think. And so, um, yeah, from there, that was probably, oh, what, three years ago? maybe four years ago. So I have about 30 plates now. (laughs) Well, I think, I think like gelatin printing is so unbelievably addictive. I always say to people, like everybody remembers the first time they tried a plate because it is a moment. It is a moment for everyone. Like I remember I was in a class at what was then called CHA, the Craft and Hobby Association show. And uh, these gelatin plates came out and we tried them and I was like, this is the 
best thing I have ever done in my whole life. And that was like started like this incredible love affair. And I know when I teach, if I teach something where gelatin plates are a portion of the class, but not the focus of the class, I cannot do the gelatin plate section until after lunch because nobody will listen to anything coming out of my mouth after they start a gelatin printing. It's amazing. It truly is. Like everybody has the story of your, your room is just covered with thousands of papers everywhere because you cannot stop and so I think like to me I have met I have run into few products in my life that are that deeply addictive even to absolute beginners to children to grown-ups even to people who don't consider themselves artsy so that sort of leads us into let's talk a little bit you're on the gel press creative team it's been a long time since I've been on a design team and I'm wondering how they've changed over time. Um, so what um, what do you do for gel press and what do you get in uh, exchange for what you do? Um, well, I've only been on the team since the beginning of the year and they're actually going through some restructuring. So they brought on some new members creative team members over the past month and we're just now starting to put out videos with new intros and outros and really getting into um, supporting each other on our various social media platforms and um, being active in the gel press Facebook groups that are uh, well there's only one Facebook group but the Facebook group and and um, as a team member we get the plates, uh, which I had already probably had all of them to begin with. <laughs> so I have two of each, except for the one that I accidentally sat my chair leg on. Um, <laughs> I wanted to cry when that happened. But um, we get the plates, all the plates. They have a huge line of plates going all the way from the petites, which are in various sizes and shapes. Uh, like a mustache and a hardened lips and um, the two by three, which I love using to swatch paints. Interesting. Um, yeah, I swatch the, I, because I usually use my paint, paints gel printing, I swatch my paints using the two by three gel plate. It makes sense so, because obviously your paints show up differently on a brush than they do on the plate. Yeah, and texture wise too. Um, Recently, I posted a, a, a um, on Instagram about using highly fluid acrylics on the gelatin plate. Um, and so you don't see that texture unless you use it on a gelatin plate. So a lot of my swatches, I can see what kind of texture I'll get on the plate. But um, outside of the plates, we also um, get monetary compensation for our videos we make because they understand that that's our time and we have to edit those videos and they respect that so they pay us for our videos and um that's about it so far like i said it's just kind of starting up and things are a little new i think for everyone even the people who have been on the team for a long time so that's about it so far i think that's good. Yeah. When, with the, in the days that I did design teams, there was no monetary compensation whatsoever. I was going to say, yeah. they used to just hand you some product and think you'd and be say, go. satisfied. I yeah. think 
still kind of that way because when um, Sally Lynn McDonald was the person who contacted me and, and asked if I wanted to be a part of the group. And she said right up front, we don't pay in glitter. And so I think that's still that's an issue with design teams that they, you know, think that you have all the time in the world to create these videos and blog posts and everything else and paying them with paper and ephemera and whatever else is good enough. And for some it is. Like, I truly love gel printing, so I would not have had a problem with it, but I very much so appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think, think that happens a lot. Sorry, I Go think ahead. that happens a lot when there's a big power discrepancy between the person hiring whether it's for money or for product, and and the people who want to be hired, and then they can get away with that. Happens in a lot of different uh, fields. If the power discrepancy is too great, you know, there are a zillion people who want to be hired, and there's no need to act as if you respect them because you really don't in some deep way. But I think it also is slightly related to the fact that a lot of people this is a hobby, not a career. And so when it's your hobby, if you're monetarily compensated, it's nice, but it's not necessarily necessary because you have another stream of income, you know? And so then I think that's part of what happens a lot of the times too, is that if you, if you know what I mean, when it's not your job job, you feel okay taking it. And then really talented people take on work for free because they don't need the money necessarily, which then means it becomes difficult for everyone to get paid. I mean, this is a long, long diatribe about a lot of other things, but it actually is related to one of the questions that I have for you, because I think, you know, one of the things that I've talked about a lot, and I think a lot of people are talking about now in the COVID times, um, you'll, I, I've noticed a lot of, for instance, like ballets, orchestras, museums, other places that are doing a lot of content online have started to talk about monetizing. Like, how do you monetize all this content that you're now expected to give away for free, right? Or, and will audiences, you know, pay for this content, which has otherwise been free? And I think you see that happening too in our community, certainly with people who are used to free videos on YouTube, they don't wanna pay for pay videos on you know, Patreon or on private sites or you know, free tutorials versus teaching it as an online class or you know, all that kind of stuff. Now I know that you have a Patreon. Yes, um, I just started. <laughs> which is Huge exciting. Work. It's exciting and it is, it has a huge learning curve. Um, but so, but part of that is about like believing that uh, people should pay for content and that that's necessary, right? To more people making a living at it as opposed to having it be, or even if it's, if it's quote unquote just a side hustle that you should still be able to make some money at this and not that not all content should be free. So I don't know, I'm assuming, to be some fact you have a Patreon, that you fall sort of on my side of the fence about it, that, that there can be free content, but people should also be willing to pay for some content. Um, I don't know, though. Yeah. I, um, like, I just started the Patreon page. Uh, it's going on three months now ago. And it's not that I'm trying to get rid of the free content that I have on YouTube. I Right now, I'm still posting the same video. 
It's just the video that's on YouTube is sped up. There's no um, commentary because that takes extra time, like to sit there and, and do all that. But once I do the, the one that's in real time in the commentary, all I have to do is strip all that stuff out and then just double time the speed and I can post it on, on YouTube. So it's, it's easy to keep giving content to YouTube um, because people are willing to pay for that real-time commentary, um, those real-time commentary videos. But I also have to do the Patreon because there are things that I want to do in the future. Like I want to maybe get better equipment or I want to try and get a product but I have to have some capital up front in order to do it. Um, so that's more so what the Patreon is for. And, and the patrons, the ones that I have are super understanding. Cause like I said, the learning curve is huge and I'm like, okay, when am I supposed to have this out? Who's paid for what, what, what is all this stuff you've got going on Patreon? And um, they're just, that's just their way as patrons are, you know, are they just want to help you do your art your work your whatever you're with whatever you're on there for so i don't think people should really see it as a negative because we're not forcing you to go over there it's the people who want to go the extra step and help you to achieve whatever goals you're trying to achieve so um i think it would be kind of sad if some people just stopped giving free content altogether but I don't know. I, I, I'll continue to offer free content. It's just you know, this is not unrelated to the issue that newspapers and other kinds of publications ran into a few years ago, which is in order to, because they were losing advertising, they had to find another way of monetizing. And so they started charging you for a subscription or, or you only got like six a month free uh items and then after that you had to pay and at first there's resistance but you know i i now subscribe to a number of newspapers and i consider it partly it's because they're it's good content but partly it's because i want to support all all these different newspapers and journals and things and i i think people may also have a little bit of that with patreon and things like that where they want to it's good content, but they also want to support an artist and they understand that this is one way of keeping that artistic community alive. I, I also feel that uh, this happens with movies. It's like streaming and, you know, some movies you have to pay for and some you don't. But you're, there's there are ways where people are viewing it somewhat, not just as getting something, but as supporting something. And that's a good thing. And, and I think Patreon is also good for the little people like me, because in order to create clubs on YouTube, you have to have a gazillion <laughs> subscribers. And, you know, with Patreon, you can still get the support from your patrons, even if it's just five or ten of them. You know, that even that small amount of patron patronism helps. And, and um, you know, I just. It took a while for me to um, decide to do it, but it wasn't because 
I was against it. It's just, it is time consuming. <laughs> well, it becomes a, a small business and yes, a small business yes. has a lot of stuff that you have to do that's not art making. And it becomes a small business very quickly because now they have to um, tax the patrons. And so we had to go through that and figure out what's a physical good and what's, you know, just something you're showing them. And, and um, I, I've heard someone say the last time they were on Patreon, uh, it wasn't this complicated. So I don't know when all this came to be, but it is a little daunting. <laughs> it is. And it's also like, I agree. I don't think that free content should go away or will go away. But I think... Um, I think it's important for people to understand that that people do need to make a living at it. I, you know, a lot of people will say like, well, you know, I, why don't why why does this have to cost so much or why does this have to whatever? And it's like, well, it's the same as anything else. Do you know what I mean? Don't ask your doctor why it costs so much. It's because they went to medical school and they're in practice and they have a level of expertise. And like you have to believe that someone is charging because they have a level of expertise. They have a level of, you know, whatever it is. And they're uh, and you need to pay for that. I guess that's the way that I would put it, something like that. So I was trying to find – there was a post that I saw on Instagram, and I have been looking for it because I felt like this conversation made me think about it. Um, but I cannot find it now. And and what it was is there is a woman who had posted something where she said, listen, like I – I'm happy to talk to you and to share my techniques and to do all that kind of stuff, but I I don't always share everything. Like, I don't share every element of the secret sauce because this is my business. And it's not up to me to help you, like, grow and build your business. That's actually not what I do. So it's like, I will tell you some things, but, like, if I don't tell you exactly the information you want to know, like, that has to be a boundary. Like, we all have to respect, yeah. you know? Yeah, I, that's um, something that causes some confliction in me because I do want to be helpful. I want to help someone get to where I am. But then too, it's like I put in a lot of research and time into building what you see. Like someone's like, okay, so how do you do your videos just like a broad question like that and it's like um well you need to get lights well where did you get your lights well okay you need to get a mic where did you get your mic and you need to get this software okay where did you get this software and how do you use it and it's just kind of like it it can easily you easily find yourself going down the rabbit hole and and um and you you want to help them because you don't want them to have to spend as much time researching it if you could just give it to them but also it's like that was a lot of time I had to put into to getting all this together to getting it to work and why shouldn't they spend as much time researching it why 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 do women always have to be nice yeah <laughs> and why is it nice to yes. let other people eat your flesh yeah. I mean it. It's just, 
this is what I've always said to Julie too when she was growing up. I said, you don't always have to take the burned cookie. And it's true. And I would say, like, this is the thing that drives me crazy when people email me questions, because I'm always like, I am going to answer that question the same way that you would. I'm going to do a Google search or I'm going to enter the search bar on my YouTube channel or I'm going to enter the search bar on my blog or whatever. Like, it's literally I'm going to do the same thing you're doing, except now I have to do it and it's taking up extra time. And it's like, I agree with you. I don't wanna be rude to people. I wanna be helpful to people and I wanna do all those things, but I also know that I have a limited amount of time. And you know, you work full time, you 100% have a limited amount of time. And it's like, what, what, how is that helping you towards your own goals while at the same time, do you know what I mean, keeping things going? And it can be very difficult to say to people, that's not something that I do. Or even I have told plenty of people, you know, I don't teach that. But if you do a Google search, you'll find a thousand free videos on how to do it. And I can guarantee you that there are a million YouTube videos on how to set up a video setup. And there are a million classes that people charge for and make a living off of. And I always feel like if someone, you know, wants that information, it is out there. They don't need it from me. It's also, you know, teaching Amanda Fish. You're teaching them that they can find out anything. I've learned this lesson from you, Julie, and from from your brother, which is I keep asking these tech questions, stupid tech questions, but you've often and you've been kind enough to Google it, but now believe it or not, I actually do Google a lot of them before I contact you and have solved some of my own issues. So I feel more in control of things and less powerless. It's actually been a favor to me. You know, and as a tech, I I realized that even Googling requires a level of skill. Um, you have to know to use the right words in the right order, or something like that, or to scan the results and and be able to differentiate what actually has to do with what you're looking for and what doesn't. And some people don't have that skill, and so they're frustrated or like with Facebook, you're in a Facebook group and people ask the same question a million times. They don't know that there's a little search bar over on the left side where if you put the right word in there, it'll pull up every single post that talks about that. But telling them that is better than just giving them the answer to one question. The other thing is there are people who won't read the whole thing. The answer is in the thing, but they won't read it. They want you to feed it to them. And I'm sorry. Well, I so this is interesting, Jackie, because I can see your face. And people obviously who are listening to the podcast can't see your face. But you just made such a face when mom was like, oh, well, send them there to do it. And, like, I know exactly what that face is about because I have dealt with those emails. And I have dealt with those DMs. And I have dealt with that, which is it doesn't matter that it's easy to find. And it doesn't matter that it's there. They want you to say it to them, like, and they want you to provide the direct link. They want you to whatever. And I will say that I believe two things, which is A, now that I'm in my 40s, uh, I feel very comfortable just being like, mm, delete, you know, delete. Not going to deal with it. Not my problem. And it's kind of like if somebody rang my doorbell and was like, let me see inside your fridge. I'd be like, listen, back the F off. Like, get out of here. Why, I, I don't know you. Why am I going to let you in my fridge, right? Just because you rang my bell, right? And yet, if some stranger 
from who knows where emails me and asks me, you know, for something. And now I'm immediately supposed to send them an email back, you know, or I'm a bad person for not doing it. And it is an interesting thing. I do think some of it may be because we're women. I don't know. I do think some of it may just be like wanting to be nice to people or or not understanding how your business, you know, can thrive if you don't, if, is, is that customer service to answer every single email that comes in? Is it not customer service? I mean, the thing that's so interesting is a lot of times, you know, the uh the the question i i will just say this which is i get a ton of scanning cut questions it is not surprising um 90 of them can be answered by people searching my youtube channel for the video that answers the question for the ones that can't do you know what i mean i offer private one-on-one -on -one scan and cut tutorials they are expensive because that is my time away from my child that is my time away from my business that is my time right and the few people who have taken me up on the one-on-one -on -one have all left happy customers. But for the most part, people are not willing to pay to get the answer to their question. So that tells me how much they actually need the answer from me. Right. If they're not willing to pay for it, then they don't really need the answer from me. Because I can tell you that if my child were sick, there is no amount of money I wouldn't pay for someone who could fix it. You know, if my computer broke down and I had a deadline, there is no amount of money I wouldn't pay to have somebody fix it. Like those things that are true emergencies that you really need, you will pay for. And when they're not, you won't. And so that has actually made things a lot easier for me in terms of being willing to just say, I can't help you with that. Yeah. And it, it is a, it is an issue of customer service because even with something like YouTube, I'm putting this content out there for free. Yeah, now, yay, I finally able to put ads on my videos. But, uh, you know, it, they're not having to pay for anything. Um, and people will tell you, well, I prefer your short videos. And you have to tell them, well, yeah, because I just started doing live streams earlier this year. It's like, um, I like my short videos too they're nice and neat and you know cut out all the fat and everything but that takes time and so i decided to supplement my channel with live streams which i can just jump on there chit chat get stuff done and um still stay in contact with my my subscribers and you know the the um the planned videos haven't happened as frequently because I just haven't felt like doing it. You know, it's like, I don't want to do all that editing. It drives me nuts having to find enough songs to fill, you know, 10, 15 minute video. <laughs> I, I just, people don't understand how much time it takes. And so, you know, you kind of have to edit yourself when you respond to these kind of comments um, because you're thinking business-wise customer service. And it's like, okay, you know, yeah, I like them too. Have you checked out my gel printing playlist? And that's where it ends because I can't, I can't. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> People say mean things to me all the time on YouTube. And I always think that's amazing that you can do that. But I, I will just say this and then I, and then I have some other questions for you. But I had a friend when I lived in New York who was continually late. And I said to her, why are you always <laughs> late to meet me? And she said, well, the problem is either I have to, you know, the way that the trains work and the schedule is like either I'm going to be like, you know, 20 minutes early or 20 minutes late. And I always think like, why should I wait? And I'm like, just to be clear then, though, I'm waiting. So what you're saying is 
so that you shouldn't have to wait. I should have to wait because your time is more important than my time, right? And she's like, oh, I didn't think about it that way. And I was like, okay. But I mean, but that is actually the same thing in, you know, if you post a long form video and somebody doesn't like it, you know what I mean? What they're saying is their time is worth more than yours because instead of them having to watch that video to look for the information that they want, they want you to prepackage it to get it down to something. And I think if people thought about a little bit more about what they're asking for and why they're asking for it, then they would realize that, you know, when you're asking somebody to do something because your time is more valuable than theirs, then that actually becomes an incredibly impolite request, you know, and when you're asking something from somebody because you're truly desperate or you truly can't find it or you're truly confused or any of that stuff, then I think, you know, people's spirit of generosity comes up. I think anytime you post free content, it's an act of generosity. It just is. But I can also tell you, you know, I offered a free class at the beginning of COVID, you know, and more than a thousand students came through that class. I offer, you know, uh, I offered several paid classes during this time and I can tell you significantly fewer Students came through that, which is another indication of people's willingness to pay for content. And it is what it is. I'm not a different teacher. I'm not a different person. You know what I mean? It's not a different platform. That is just the way that it is. And I think part of what I have come to accept is that there are people who pay and there are people who don't pay. There are certain people who philosophically don't feel that they need to pay. And that's fine. Those are not my customers, you know? Yeah. Um, and I would say it's also an interesting question to think about, like, are about like, do you have to be a paying person to be considered a customer? And I actually don't think so, because I actually would tell you that I think I consider some people customers who have never paid for a single thing, but who comment on things, who share things, who are active members of what I would say is my community. I consider those people customers because those are people who add value to my daily life and to my business just you know in non-monetary ways so i think the people who are not customers are the people who are silent and who only ask for stuff without anything in exchange it's like when i said to you what do you get from the gel press team you know and it could be product it could be money it could be fame it could be you know a good community feeling whatever it is and so it's like i think that to a certain extent everything in life is transactional <laughs> It's terrible to say, but it is because even sometimes the transaction is I help you because it makes me feel good. That's actually transactional. I get a good feeling from helping you, right? And so I think like that's the thing, which is I find one of the reasons I like teaching is it's actually transactional. Beyond the monetary part of it, when students have an aha moment, when they have a good experience, that makes me feel so good that it is a transactional experience for me to teach because I give you knowledge, you give me joy. And that is when you say at the end of the class to me, I really enjoyed this. I learned something I didn't know. To me, that is payment because it is that feeling that I'm getting from having given you something, which is great, you know? And I think all of that stuff is true. So I don't mean to say that people have to pay to be heard or anything like that. But I think that you should think about you know, for the people who you think are great and adore and follow, do you know what I mean? What are any of the things that you can do to be supportive in some way, you know, that that shows that you're a member of their, you know, community, tribe, whatever you want to call it. That's my yeah, diatribe. It, 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 yeah, I, and I agree 100%. Like, 
you don't have to buy anything that I sell. Um, you could do something as simple as just watch, watch the ads on my YouTube videos. Or like you said, you can retweet something or um, repost something. Uh, one lady uh, sent a message to me telling me how she and her daughter, uh, granddaughter, are watching my videos together. And that just flooded me with so many memories of me and my grandmother. Cause like I told you earlier, she was very important in how I grew creatively. So it was just like, I sent them a little letter telling them, telling them that much. And um, she was excited about that. I was excited about that. And it was just like, like you said, that transaction, it just, it was just kept coming because she told me that I sent her the letter, then she sent me another message. And sometimes that's all you need, especially if you're in a funk at that point in time, because maybe someone sent you a little nasty comment or something like that. And you just need a good comment to balance it out. It's Yeah, it's not always monetary. Agreed. So speaking of monetary, because of course we were, let's talk about your Etsy shop a little bit. Um, and I know that I'm assuming that you make your stencils on your silhouette machine. Yes. No, I do. I do. It is a labor of love. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you, um, when you design your stencils and do that kind of stuff, are you generally making things for yourself or are you making designs that you think other people will like, or where, what, what kind, how do you come up with those designs? I'm definitely making them for myself. Uh, I buy a lot of stencils, but... Oh, don't I, we all? Yeah, I buy a lot of stencils. And uh, the kind of stencils I prefer are more abstract. And so, uh, actually, I started making the stencils based off of some of the stamps I carved for Carved December in 2017. So um, I stamped them out, scanned them in, and traced them and made patterns from them. And so that's how a lot of them, a lot of my first batch of stencils started out. And from there, they kind of moved on to, I got an iPad, so I started drawing my patterns and then importing them into the Silhouette software. But they're definitely for me. And surprisingly, a lot of people have been looking for stuff like that, more abstract. Um, they use the term tribal or, you know, things like that. But, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not the kind of person who wants uh, a stencil of something that's really specific because I want to be able to use it in various ways. You know, it's interesting. I happen to agree 100% with you. The stencils that I most enjoy and that I use the most are the ones that are more abstract, more basic, like their shapes, their backgrounds, they're just generalized things that I can use in a lot of different ways. But interestingly, not the things that sell the best, which I find fascinating because I don't want the ones that are like, you know, very specifically like a butterfly, a flower, whatever it is, but people those are the ones that sell the best. It's just so interesting to me. I'm out of step. <laughs> and I find that strange because you, well, some people just love butterflies and they want to use them on everything. And of course, it's hard to draw a butterfly or it's hard to draw 
I don't know. There's some really specific stencils out there of, of shapes and I just can't see myself using that over and over and over again. Uh, so I, don't, I didn't think that was that uncommon, but wow. <laughs> interesting, right? I think it's really, really interesting. Um, I think uh, one of the things is it's okay to be out of step with people, but it's like I also know from having like so every what happens is every quarter I get a list from Jamie over at the Crafters Workshop of what has been selling well and what has not been selling well. And inevitably, some of my favorites, the utensils that I love and use all the time are not selling well because they're basically just flat 2D design, which is what I like, you know, just like there's a box behind you that has a lot of pattern and stuff on it. And I love just those basic patterns, um, you know, and I think that the ones that always sell are the things that are the faces or like very specifically a person's face. And I think it's because people look to stencils to help them create a focal point very often. And so they're yeah. looking for that clear, distinct image. But it's the same thing with stamps. Like I like stamps that are like basically like patterns or backgrounds or, you know, usable things as opposed to like a picture of something. And yet I know that what really sells stamp wise is a picture of something. So there's always that interesting thing, especially when you run, you know, an artistic business about trying to decide, do you go towards when you're making products for sale as opposed to artwork do you go for the stuff that sells or do you go for the stuff that you personally want to use? You know, what's the, what's the balance there? Um, I just, I guess I'm just bullheaded that way. I'm just going to make what, what appeals to me. And what I will do is I will demonstrate how I use my stencils because sometimes people can't, See it until they see it and so um i definitely every time i make a stencil i make a video of me using it and you know still there'll be some people who just aren't into that kind of thing but i think when a, a lot of times with those videos people are like oh my goodness that looks great i want that stencil uh, of course, those could be the people that would just get any stencil because <laughs> they're like me. They just like buying stencils. But, um, you know, I think you just have to be like with making art. You just have to be true to who you are. And the people who want it will find you or you'll find them. And I think you just have to be good with that because I, I can't see myself making something like that that's just so distinct because I myself I can't see myself using that like I have to be able to use it um, you know this I often make uh, analogies to cooking and one of the things is there are people who will buy ingredients and only use them in a particular way in a particular recipe and then there are other people who will buy the ingredient even if they don't have a recipe and they'll figure out ways to use it and so instead of just using cinnamon for example in a sweet roll or something they'll say hmm let me try it in chicken you know they'll just experiment around I so I'm thinking that some of that has to do with comfort comfort with the process and uh, 
being ready to make a, a mistake and you know somebody will eat it <laughs> the dog will eat it uh but also uh, there is a level of uh whether you think that the ingredient is going to make the dish or whether you think that you are going to make the dish and the ingredient will be part of it and if you're using the stencil to make the picture the artwork whatever then you naturally want something that maybe you feel like you can't make you know i can't draw a horse so i've got to get a stamp or a stencil of a horse but if you're thinking of it as something that you're going to somehow incorporate into the other things you do so i don't have to have like a particular brush i can start to look at other brushes and i can see what else this brush can do and maybe i'm going to use the other end of the brush you know the handle for something i i just think that it's about experimenting and feeling comfortable with again making mistakes so by your showing how you use it i think you can give people ideas i think it's really important to have those examples that's probably one reason you're on this gel arts team uh, is because you're giving people ideas of ways they can use their jelly plate that they may not have thought of. And and that's the other um, that's the other thing I guess because of my style I don't really focus on having a focal point. The question I get very often um, on videos or when I post my work in the gel printing groups on Facebook is what do you do with your prints? And I tell them nothing. I stick them in a book and every now and then I open up the book and fill the pages. I don't, <laughs> I just, I don't, a lot of the prints that I make are complete. They're abstract. They're exactly how I want them to be. And I have, I have a book just filled with prints and I don't make projects. So, it's, so that might be just that, that I am approaching it differently than they are. So maybe that's why I'm not concerned about that focal point or, or anything like that. I'm My outcome, the outcome that I want is very different from most people who print. I think that that's, I think that that's fine. And I, what I would say is I think that I believe that the things that make you weird are the things that make you awesome. The things that make you different from the crowd are the things that make you special and amazing. And so I think this actually loops back to our conversation at the very beginning of the podcast, which is the more that we each try to be the most ourselves as opposed to trying to be like other people, it is both uh, empowering to you yourself because you are comfortable with yourself, but it is also makes it a richer and more interesting world because instead of being clones of each other, right, we're interesting individuals and can show a wide spectrum of talents and abilities and interests and all that kind of stuff. And this actually dovetails a little bit into um, this event that we are doing together um, called Pass the Brush. Uh, which, uh, at least my understanding of it, is really about amplifying some black artists um, and turning over uh, the platforms of some white, or as I consider myself to be white passing, since I'm only half white, uh, you know, uh, artists' uh, platforms, basically. So I don't know if you can explain it better than I can. Um, no, that's, that's just about it. It's... Uh... It's 
it's been frustrating as a black artist to know that you are pretty much invisible in the crafting community. I think there are people out there, there's this misnomer that black people don't craft, black people don't make art. And we consume so much of the crafting products that are out there, papers, the, the inks, all of that. I, I mean, I have a small space in my apartment, but I can guarantee you I have thousands of dollars worth of products, thousands of dollars worth of products. And you are hard pressed to find stamps that look, that resemble someone of color. You're hard pressed to uh, find paints and paint sets that are skin tone related, that have colors that go as deep as um, deep brown as someone of, of color. And so um, it was, it's frustrating. It's always been frustrating. It's frustrating when you look at uh, design teams and you know, you see at most one person of color. And um, it was just Rachel Bellamy, she's a very passionate person. And when all this stuff kind of erupted a month ago, she just felt compelled to to give black artists a platform, a voice in this um, project she did. And people were surprised, I think, uh, of how they hadn't noticed. And she might have uh, um, mentioned 100 artists. It was a drop in a bucket. You know, just a hundred is just a small drop in the bucket and it was still such an eye-opening experience for a lot of people and we're over here like uh, okay <laughs> you're okay you're just now seeing us okay but even still people aren't realizing it realizing that they're ignoring um, or maybe not considering uh, a, a, a section of the social media universe that they're not seeing. You know, sometimes you have to ask your question, am I not seeing something? What's missing? And that's, that question is not being asked when it comes to uh, the art community. So there's this... Craft. There's this old test that they used to give people, which I think they still do, where they say, name five women artists. And most people have an incredibly difficult time. They can name men, Picasso, Matisse, but they cannot think of five famous women artists. And what I would challenge the listeners of this podcast to do is to say, can you name five black mixed media artists? Five black people in the craft arena. Can you name them? And I think that that might be a challenge for many. It will. And I would, I would challenge them even further. And it would probably be easier for them to, to find an answer to this challenge is I would ask them to consider their favorite brands of, of art supplies, the companies, the brands. And 
if they have a design team, if they have a creative team, um, you know, any kind of team, designers also, um, how many of them are people of color? Can you find one that has more than two? More than one. Can you find any that have more than one out of all the brands you like? And that's a problem because it, it, it makes it to us, it kind of feels blatant that they're trying to check a box, that they will only have one at most. And some of them have none, quite a few have none. And that's very noticeable to us, but I know to a lot of people, especially people who don't see color, uh, they don't notice when some color is missing. <laughs> well, I would say it actually goes beyond creative teams because I think if I may be unkind for one moment, sometimes if somebody picks, um, you know, someone of color to do something, it may be because they're chasing down that what they think is that person's audience, as opposed to there need to be more marketing directors at these companies of color. There need to be more people, you know what I mean, who are product development, who are of color. There need to be more people in the power positions, so to speak, who are making decisions and choices, you know, uh, that uh, affect many, many other people. Because as I think we all are beginning to understand, I hope, is that no matter how empathetic or sympathetic or whatever you are, you can't actually understand what somebody's experience is you just you can't because you haven't lived it right. you can listen and you can try but you just can't really get it so you can't you can you can be an ally as much as possible but in the end right there have to be people of color in some of these more powerful positions correct i completely agree because like you, you can't make you can't go securing your decision if you haven't consulted someone who would be able to give you a definitive answer like okay does this product speak to whatever is going on or you know uh, I and another person were talking and there was a stencil and it was like there were very few stencils that reflect a person of color, but there was this one stencil and the stencil was of a face. You could tell it was a person of color, but they looked mad. And it was just like, why does this stencil? It's like, this is one of two stencils. I don't like this stencil. The stencil doesn't reflect, you know, it's not like they have to be smiling, but it looked like a, a mad face. It's like, I don't, I don't want to use this stencil. Well, so that it's goes back to... I was going to say, it actually goes back to your early example you're talking about, about pink colors, which is back to, you know, that they need to have people in product development or who are the designers of the company who are looking at things like this shouldn't be called flesh tone. You know, this image yeah. needs to be more diverse. I mean, I think there has been some talk about it in terms of language, you know, like, do we need to include more Spanish in the stuff that we create? Do we need to, you know, be more inclusive in terms of how we see families? I think like, you know, emojis were one of the early grounds where people were talking about, you know, what color are they? And, you know, uh, also what are the groupings? Like, can it be two men? Can it be two women? Can it be, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I, and I think we are in so many ways, uh, both closer and farther away from where Can I just say something too? Because yeah. it's just people might think, oh, it's about adding 
other people, people who are diverse into including them in something for their benefit. But I am telling you, I would not, I would not enjoy music half as much if I weren't being given access to all kinds of music from all kinds of people. And I feel that in terms of art, for example, or craft or any of these things, I may be being left out from some rich things that I would really enjoy if I don't also hear from, see, um, you know, if I'm not included in the information about art that comes from people who aren't my background, I would, so I feel like, like there's a deficit to me who is not black, I'm Chinese. <laughs> there's a deficit to me if I don't have access to some of these other things. So the deficit goes both ways, you know, and I don't want it to be seen that it's just, oh, you have to include diverse people because they're left out. I'm left out of some of the things that they're doing and that's something I don't like. Yeah, yeah I and, and it's not that, you know, oh, put a black person on the team just so you can learn how to mix brown skin tones. Yeah, they're an artist, so they're going to bring something to the table more than just knowing how to paint a brown face. Um, it's I don't know. It's just so it, just like anything, the narrative is going to be a certain way if you only have certain people in the conversation um, and people are going to be able to come to their own conclusions because they have no one there to tell them otherwise. Uh, so, so the big thing is, you know, they don't think black people do art and crafts because no one's putting them on the teams. No one's showing them, you know, putting up big pictures of, oh, this is so-and-so's art. And then especially with social media, it's so much easier now to know who's behind the paintbrush. You know, you put someone's art up and people are automatically going to click on their profile and they're like, oh, wow, they're black. Okay. You know, so like you said, it just, it just adds to, to the pot and everyone can, can Everyone's take enriched by it. Yeah. Everyone. Julie, I don't think you finished describing what's going to happen. Oh yes. I guess, I, guess I should do that. So basically for two days, um, uh, Jackie's going to take over my Instagram and Facebook pages and she is going to post about herself and some of her work and links to things of hers. Um, and we are also going to do a, an Instagram live where we're going to make some art and do some talking and we're going to do that together on um, the second day. I will have an exact, uh, I believe the time that we have agreed to 1 p.m. on Friday, July 17th. That's 1 p.m. Eastern. However, if that changes, I will let you know because <laughs> things are a little bit up in the air. But that's the goal. But you can follow Jackie, obviously, online, on Instagram to find out about that, too. Your handle is? Creations by Jay Cherie, and that's on um, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Um, and I'm obviously Balls Are Designed, so you can find all of her stuff, plus she'll, she'll obviously link to herself there as well. 
Um, and there are going to be prizes, lots and lots of exciting prizes. I know that during our live stream, I'm going to be giving away a $200 gift certificate to my online classroom to somebody, some lucky person who's watching and commenting and all that kind of stuff, which is going to be awesome. Um, and basically there are pairs, which, um, Rachel and, um, Dina Wakely have put together, right. Of, uh, black yeah. artists and white or white passing artists, um, I do remember the first time somebody asked me if I was trying to pass and I had a moment where I was trying to figure out what they were talking about. And then I was like, oh, wow. Oh, I wasn't trying to, but I guess I am. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but that's exciting. That is supposed to be July 9th and 10th, which would be um, Thursday and Friday. And I, I'm very interested and excited to meet a whole bunch of people that I may not currently be aware of, but I'm certainly having a less rich artistic life uh, because I don't know about them. So I'm really excited to see what the two days bring. I don't know how you feel about everything, Jackie. I'm excited about it. I, uh, I, I told the other uh, artists who are going to be guests that I've been fortunate in my pairing because we have a lot in common. So I know I don't have the anxiety that some of them have uh, because we can find things to talk about easily. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's a new, it's going to be a new experience, definitely, being exposed to so many people, because with anything, you you worry about the good that comes with it and possibly, I don't know, the bad that comes with it. I know some of the other hosts are maybe concerned about, okay, we're, we're touching on a sensitive subject. How will it affect me? And so I'm grateful of you all that have decided to take that chance because it can affect it can affect you uh, negatively, positively. We don't know. It's you know it's it's definitely we're going into the unknown, but it's art related, so it's going to be fun. I know yes. that. And I will I will also say on a personal level, for whatever it's worth, I I do think that there there the fear of what it will do to you is so small compared to what it must be like to raise a black son, you know? Yeah. yeah. To do all those things yeah. like there, whatever fear that is cannot even be, I, I can't even imagine, you know, I remember I, so I have a step brother who is half black, but because he's half black, he is people just assume he's black. And he, I remember the first time he got stopped for walking you know, he's 15 years old in a hoodie, but he's a tall kid and it, you know, and it was traumatic. And I think that, that, that you cannot underestimate the fear that comes just from existing sometimes when you're black. I mean, you can obviously speak to it more than I can. You have a black teenage son. Uh, so I, I think that we all need to step forward and push down whatever small fear we have because it's nothing compared to the real fear with a capital F. Right. And, and that's the, and I think that's why sometimes it's hard for us to understand as, you know, the black women on this side of, of this project, um, why some people can be so apprehensive because we're like, oh, this is nothing. You know, I, I literally uh, pause when my son, he's 15, he asked me, can he go walk to the store? Um, and 
when we first started quarantine and then all the um, George Floyd stuff was going on, it was just like, I don't know. I don't know. It's like, okay, what time of the day is it? How long is it going to take him to get there? He's got to get back before it gets dark. Um, It's just you have to think about so many things, especially when they're young, because I I was watching a video and this little kid was being detained by the police and I automatically thought, well, what are his rights? What could he have done? Do the police have to call me if they're, you know, going to try to take him uh, and detain him? Like, I was just, those were a million questions went through my head because I was like, you know, he's, he's, he's not an aggressive child, but he also wouldn't know what to do in that situation. And when you're a child and you don't know what to do in that situation, things can happen. And so it was just like, it was, and you know, it's, it's crazy. It's absolutely insane. And it doesn't get any better because, you know, even grown black men still have the same problems as the, the boys. 100%. So. I listened to a podcast today that left me so enraged I could barely speak. It was about the Chicago Police Department and things like losing cattle prods on people and all sorts of other amazing, illegal, terrible things that they did specifically only to black people. It It is insane and unbelievable. And this is not like ancient history. This is like within the last 20 years. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and, you know, people have to realize that you know, the segregation and everything else, that was only a generation ago. My father, uh, traveling from Alabama up to Chicago, because that's where my grandfather's and my grandmother's on my dad's side, that's where the people are from, Alabama. But we lived in Chicago. They lived in Chicago. And so they would drive the 12 hours back and forth, maybe twice, three times a year. And my dad, as a child, couldn't go into certain bathrooms. Like, that's literally a generation ago. It's not that far off. And so, um, you know, it's, once again, the the good side with social media. Now this stuff is is being seen. It's being heard. It's being recorded. And um, people can't, they still can close their eyes to it. But it's a lot harder now. Yeah. I think that one of the best things I read on social media that really helped me so much was it said every time you want to look away or you want to turn it off or you feel uncomfortable or upset and you want to cry, think about the privilege you have to be able to do that and the yeah. millions of people who can't because it's their real life. Yeah. And so you owe them attention, if nothing else. Yeah. Because it's not it, just sitting there and going ahead and, and watching it all the way through is doing nothing to you physically. You know, mentally, you might find yourself, like you said, mad. You might find yourself attacked, like, oh, that's not me or whatever. But um, at the end of the day, when you wake, when you go to sleep and you wake up in the morning, that, that feeling might be gone. It was just temporary. I agree. I I really, I have great hopes that past the brush will be just a little tiny baby crack opening step towards something really good within our own community, you know, and that hopefully if every community can take these little steps, we can start to build something really big. Yeah, I hope so too. I think 
and it's even those little cracks they're necessary so i don't think this will be in vain i i really am very optimistic about what will come out of this well if nothing else i am so delighted to have you come into my life because i think you are so talented and so intelligent and so interesting and i'm i'm really excited to see where your journey is going to take you and i know that i'm following you on instagram and i hope that everybody else will too Thank you. <laughs> so speaking of that, let's talk about where people uh, can find you if they're looking for you. So I know you have your website. Do you have a blog or anything like that? I can't remember. Uh, no, that's got cobwebs on it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not much of a writer. So uh, I have Instagram. Uh, the Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, Creations by Jay Cherie. Um, Twitter and Pinterest, Creations by JS. Uh, Etsy is the Artisan's Cash. Um, and I believe that's it. Okay. And <laughs> I know I asked you to come up with a recommendation too for this episode. So do you have something that you're willing to recommend? I do. So maybe about a month ago, YouTube recommended to me, uh, I'm a wonder. She's a YouTuber and uh, she actually has an Instagram account too. She's not, I mean, she's got like 70,000 followers, so I'm just late to the party, but uh, they, they recommended a video to me of her using uh Chiogami paper, origami paper, Japanese origami paper. And she was also kind of using the style, the Japanese style of uh, that's how they feel, fill broken like China or whatever yes. with gold. So she did that to the, she was illustrating women. And so she did that to their faces. And it was kind of really symbolic of like they were maybe broken. And so the gold cracks across their faces and the um, Chiogami paper was really nice. So I've been following her lately and uh, her name is Tina Tran. And like I said, she's on Instagram and YouTube. That's where I follow her. But she has a lot of uh, nice illustrations where she uses gouache and um, watercolor and Posca pens and just really really pretty, pretty illustrations. And what caught my attention was she draws brown people and she draws them well. <laughs> so that, that's another thing that kind of catches me with um, YouTube artists that if they can, if they can create outside of their box. So she's very, very good at drawing um, people of different color. And so that's my recommendation. I, I'm a wonder. I am a wonder. Cool. Mom, do you have a recommendation? Yes. So originally I was going to recommend an article from the Texas Monthly called Do You Have What It Takes to Be a Master Auctioneer? But I'm not going to, <laughs> although it is an interesting article. Uh, the Manhattan Theater Club, which is actually a theater in New York, naturally, like everybody else, they've been shut down by coronavirus. So they have a program called the Student Monologue Challenge. And once a week on uh, Thursdays at noon uh, for the next seven weeks, they're showing a monologue that was written by a high school student who's in their program. 
uh, and then different young actors are are acting it out. And the premise of it is that it begins, uh, there's something I need to say to you. So the first one is up. It's on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook for the Manhattan Theater Club. And uh, you can have their teeny little bios of both the students who wrote these monologues and of the actors who are acting them out. And I just found this first one really interesting. It's only a minute each time, so it's not even a lot out of your day. But I love the idea of letting students writing be seen and heard. So give it a try. The first one is up and I found it very interesting. Cool. Um, I'm actually going to recommend another podcast. Um, I have resisted for a long, so I, I have followed Elsie Larson. Is that still her name? I think yes, Elsie Larson, um, of a beautiful mess for a really, really long time since she was a scrapbooker in her scrapbooking days. Um, and I've, I've been resisting her podcast with her sister, Emma, because they're like, I don't know, her life just seems so perfect and this like beautiful, you know, like sunshine, beautiful filter kind of way. And I've always felt like, what could she possibly have? That was interesting to say. Um, but I finally listened to a couple episodes today and I actually found them really enjoyable. They're short. They're to the point. I found that both uh, Elsie and Emma, you know, unsurprisingly, because they run such a successful business, are smart, you know, interesting women. Um, and it was just another example to me of like my own prejudices about uh, people and needing to get over some of that. Um, and so I am recommending their podcast, specifically the episode that I liked that I listened to uh, most recently was they have one about side hustles. And I think it's really useful because they talk a lot about like what are some of the barriers and some of the factors to consider. And it's a good like sobering kind of real life talk. And also I love that Elsie said that instead of having imposter syndrome, she has the opposite which is she has an inflated sense of herself. And so <laughs> she gets herself into all sorts of scrapes because she just assumes that she can like do something. And I was like, that's so great because as women, we constantly are like, I'm not good enough. No, I'm not good enough. Instead of standing up and proudly saying, I'm so freaking fantastic, everybody, look at me. And I love that she said that. I just I just thought it was amazing. So I'm really, really glad uh, to recommend that. It's a it, it was it was a fun and breezy listen, and I look forward to listening to many of their other episodes. They have like maybe 40 something episodes, which uh, you know you can binge through as you wish. So that is my recommendation. Um, uh, this has been a great podcast. We went a little bit long, so I may have to cut out some of the middle, or or you may just end up with an hour and a half podcast. We'll have to figure that out. Um, but I hope that you will check out Jackie's Instagram takeover i hope that you will check out jackie's etsy shop her fantastic stencils her beautiful journals of course her instagram her youtube all that good stuff um and uh if you're looking for me you can find me at juliebalzer.com um, or on instagram as balzer designs and we always love to hear from you so do send us an email or leave a comment and of course if you'd like to help the show you can leave a review on apple Podcasts, or you can simply mention us on social media so thanks so much and we will see you the next time on the Adventures in Arting podcast.